On a sofa. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, no, it's not actually. Mm. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the North East Jits podcast, where we sometimes talk about jiu-jitsu and uh, on sofa. It's not furnishings, yeah. Yeah. So this week on the show, we're going to talk essentially about the role of an instructor and their responsibility towards their students, but with the uh, context around the Jack Greener case, that's kind of been in the jiu-jitsu news a lot recently as he was awarded uh, 46 million after uh, so five years ago he was injured uh, I'm not sure the coach's name Sinistro or something like that uh, it, uh, Francisco Itraldi right five time world champion hit a kind of not a black belt though I don't think uh, rolling back take and ended up paralysing his student uh, and now five years later has been like awarded this uh, mm. um, this compensation for it. But it kind of brings to light a lot of the questions about the role uh, we have as instructors and the safety towards the responsibility to students. There's other surrounding topics of like, what is, what is jiu-jitsu and what can we take away without kind of killing the sport? There's a lot of talk around uh, Henna Gracie's um, industry standards. Yeah. It's interesting. He's created his own industry. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's not. He's not. Yeah. Not this not. is what I mean. Like, if and you look. Ha- yeah, did he throw jiu-jitsu under the bus kind of thing? Well, I would say, if you are interested in this conversation and you haven't seen any of this stuff, it might be worth going, uh, since you might already be on YouTube, just checking out a video or two to give you a little bit more context around it. So if you've seen Hannah Gracie's kind of little breakdown about it, that would probably give you some good context. But if you haven't seen that, don't worry. Um, we're mainly talking about the the responsibilities of instructors anyway. We've, so, kind of, we've kind of touched on this before, haven't we? Do you remember when um, we kind of said, didn't we, that instructors were going to not, apart from like advanced classes, we're not going to participate in the live training because we wanted to, uh, sorry, the specific training because we wanted instructors to be aware on the mat. We've yeah. already kind of discussed this briefly before, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but I think we wanted to have Coach Warren on because obviously she's been starting to teach classes herself to get her perspective on what it might feel like as a new coach, um, mm. and then obviously with our experience as well. For me, one of the interesting things about it was how much off it got brought up that like he's a white belt, like the guy that got got injured, despite having him been training for a couple of years, right? Yeah. Uh, so, th- sorry, so on that yeah. point, I think one of the things, like Henna's video is, uh, is misleading, I think, mm. because he does a great job in the breakdown of the technique because that's what he does, right? The Gracie breakdown, breaks down techniques, MMA techniques, all of this stuff. That, so he's used to doing that. So that, and what, he, what I feel he portrayed in that video was a great breakdown of the technique, and this is what my expert testimony was. When you actually read what he wrote, in his, what he said in court, he talked a lot about industry standards and how, um, you know, and, and I think we'll all agree with this, how if you're a beginner, and this is, the, this is part of the, reason why white belt was mentioned so much because what they were saying was this is a beginner a novice and, yeah a novice yeah so and because of that um he needs to be treated differently 
Um, so where was where was the fundamentals program? Where was their fun? Where, where, so Henna talked about these industry standards where uh, they deviated from the industry standard, which meant they were inherently dangerous. I mean, there is no industry standard. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> so that's, that, that, is that the histories of like, yeah. the Gracie Academy. Exactly. So what he basically portrayed was the Gracie Academy and the, the, the structure that they have in place is the industry standard. And you're like, I was sat there thinking, is it? Like GB, we have an introductory, we have, you know, a 16 week introductory cycle. Um, you know, you go through that as many times as you need to, but those fundamental programs. So I feel it's, that's a really, really important introduction into jiu-jitsu, that fundamental program, foundation program. So I will all agree with that. So I don't disagree with what Henna said in that sense, but this idea that that is some kind of accepted position amongst everybody is like, by who? Yeah. You know. But is this... It, mm, so my instinct on that is like, does jiu-jitsu require an industry standard to professionalize it given its growth and there's so many people training now all over the world you know does it need that yeah or does it not because if you were to look at the nfl or basketball or football or any other well-established sport it would have standards throughout the game there'd be mm, a governing absolutely. body that oversaw everything and people have tried this like hickson tried the, the governing body yes. You know, IBGF kind of that's Carlos Gracie Junior's thing, but that was kind of like the industry standard for competition and yeah, the rule yeah. sets. Not, you know, does it need it? Well, I think like the IBGF is probably the closest thing that we come to it, but uh, because there's so many different umbrellas, where like it goes probably back to like you know the separation between gi and no gi is like you got because um, they were rolling no gi at the time as well. Like, like not to go too far off on that, but. Um, different organizations have different rules for the sport so it's like how, how do you are you a then you might get broken down to categories of like oh this i we operate under the ibjjf's industry standards for jiu-jitsu or you might operate under the you know cbjjf uh mm-hmm. industry standards for jiu-jitsu um unless it went to something like it became an olympic sport and then you're under the under the olympic committee but i think most people in jiu-jitsu feel like that's not what they want for jiu-jitsu. Well, it numbs the creativity and the, the expression of the art, doesn't it? Yeah. Because if, if there's if there's rules, like you now can't do this or you have to do this at this level, then the expression of what that art is to you goes away, doesn't it? I yeah. think that's what massively happened in judo, right? Where like, the thing I love most about jiu-jitsu is how it's a set that you have, they tell you what the end goal is and you basically just find the way there yourself. Whereas I think judo becomes much more limiting in terms of like now you can't attack the you can't attack things like double double legs. So while so while jujitsu isn't seen as much as a stand up sport, we're actually allowed to do way more than mm. than like the judo guys are in terms of stand up. Like we've got a far more diverse skill set to work from than they would have in you know under a rule set. And I think it's I think it's fair to say jujitsu is not a spectator-friendly sport. Mm. Neither was particularly judo. And the reason there's so many changes is because to make it more exciting, as soon as it hits the ground, let's stop. Because people have paid tickets to watch your Olympic event. They don't want to see you two sat on the floor for five minutes. 
fighting for fighting single for grips. Grip. Yeah. <laughs> so like as soon as you're on the floor <clears throat> and it's like you've kind of stopped moving, right? We're gonna stand you back up because that's the thing that people understand. I've I've sat with people and watched jujitsu who don't do jujitsu. They have no clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they have no interest in what's going on. It's like this is dull. It's funny, isn't it? Because any other combat sport, like if if you're at a football game and a fight breaks out, everyone would stop watching football and watch the fight. <laughs> but if you just put some jujitsu on the TV at a party, no one's bothering to no. watch it. Lauren, you're might I say the the least experienced mm-hmm. in jujitsu. Do you feel it's unsafe? And or and have you ever been in a situation on the mat, and you should answer this honestly, where you felt it was beyond your capability to a degree where it felt unsafe. Because I think we've all we all accept that there's going to be times when you're rolling yeah. with people where they're so much better than you. It's out. It's way beyond your comprehension. You're like, what the hell? It's like moon magic. Yeah. But if it goes to that point and it feels dangerous, we've all been there as well. It's a bit like this is like too crazy for me. I don't know what to do. No, I don't think I've ever felt unsafe. I think I've done things to myself that's put myself (laughs) like in a stupid position where you've maybe rolled a bit funny and then you're like, oh, fuck, that's my neck or Mm -hmm. trapped your finger or... Yeah, so I think it's more stuff I've done to myself. I've never felt like anybody's like a higher belt. Like you said, you you feel like, whoa, like it's like you're just in the air and you don't know what's going on, but not in an unsafe way, Mm. I don't feel. Um, That's interesting. I think with your, with your point here is, as well as, um, and bring it back to that case a little bit, is I oftentimes feel most unsafe with the least skill, least experience. Yeah, yeah. that's a dangerous yeah. creature. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. they're unpredictable. Yeah. So, so you'd hope, and you usually feel most safe if I'm rolling with like you guys, because mm-hmm. I know like the amount of control yeah. you have over me, it's you don't need to do anything too uh, dynamic or wild. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you, they, a new white belt doesn't have techniques in place or skills in place to do that. So I might, I would protect myself differently against a new student compared to the way I would roll with you guys because of, I know there's less variables in place, if that makes sense. I know you're going to be doing jujitsu to me, whereas a new person is going to be doing whatever they think is right thing at the moment. I think the technical terms spazzing out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what white belts yeah. do a lot. That's what we all did right oh. when we first start and probably still occasionally do mm-hmm. a little bit. Which kind of brings it to this case a little bit. You you know the guy is, you know, uh, trained for a couple of years, he he you wouldn't necessarily expect, although it's hard to say, for uh, an advanced instructor to be trying to hit maybe a dangerous technique, even though it was I think it's quite obvious to see like super accidental. Like I don't think he knew that it was going to be a super dangerous technique the way he was holding him. But does that come to like a lack of education on the instructor's well, part? So Henna again in his. So the thing about Henna's testimony is you got to remember he's he's te- he's an expert witness for the prosecution, which means his job is to make this so, make the prosecution's case because that's yeah. what he's been paid for, right? He's been paid a hundred grand. You're gonna you're gonna help our case. You're not here to give an, a neutral opinion. You're here yeah. to give a supporting opinion. Um, and he basically said, back takes are safe if you pull them onto your back, and if you sit them or. Um, but he said rolling to a back take is inherently more dangerous, and particularly rolling over the head is inherently more dangerous. 
And he made this distinction between um, gym techniques and competition techniques. And he said, this is a competition technique, not a gym technique. And I'm, oh, I'm reading that thinking, yeah. but you got to remember in the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu system, predominantly self-defense. Um, so most of their classes, they don't do any rolling, mm -hmm. particularly at beginners, they don't do any rolling, all self-defense based. Um, and then they get their blue and white. I mean, that, that's a whole other story in itself, right? They used to give online blue belts to people who'd never been to a jiu-jitsu class. So here's a guy who's like shrouded in controversy himself in the jiu-jitsu community. Um, well, that's why Hickson started his federation because he got yes. pissed off that his own family were yeah. creating new kind of roles, right? Absolutely. And made them downgrade that blue belt to that blue and white belt. So a white belt with a blue stripe through it. There's a, there's a video out there where Henna and his brother and Hickson are there sat saying, right, we've come up with this kind of compromise because we're not, yeah. we can't give out blue belts. So you, you complete the uh, combatives program, you get that blue and white belt, then you go through rolling. I've had first experience of this. Someone who came out of a jiu-jitsu, uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu school, um, came to the academy um, and had been training for 18 months only in self-defense stuff. And as soon as you put him into live training, was like, uh, it took him nine months to get from what was Gracie Jiu-Jitsu blue belt to training three times a week to what we would expect as a, a blue belt because it took him, took him best part of a year to get through that understanding, rolling and applying those techniques in a live training scenario. Yeah, someone was asking about this online actually. Um, on LinkedIn, just a random person said, oh, I want to get into Jiu-Jitsu. I've found this school. Can you give me some advice? And I said, oh, where are you? And he told me he was down near Cheltenham. I said, I don't think there's any way in Cheltenham, but there's definitely GB Gloucester. And so he sent me and he was, I said, oh, that's Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. That's not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. And he was like, well, what's the difference? And I was like, well, <laughs> there is a big difference. And yeah. I've, I've rolled with, in fact, over at Harrogate, a black belt in traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu came in and couldn't hang with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belts in a roll. Yeah. A black belt. Mm. Like, it's so different. Um, and I would say the combatives is very similar, right? Although there are people who've gone through that process like Josh over yeah. who are legit yes. high-level rollers. Yeah. So, um, but it is very different. Um, on that on that point of like a competition type technique versus a uh, just a jiu-jitsu yeah. technique, in some ways we do do that. In like, for instance, here we don't allow people to jump close guard unless you're in comp class mm -hmm. and blue belt, obviously. Um, and there are some techniques like or that we, you know, if you're in turtle, for instance, and you try to pull someone backwards over their knees, yeah. I'll stop you doing that. Yes. Like if, I, if I see you do it, I'm going to sit you off the rest of specific training to make a point of, hey, we don't do that. It's almost like we could use, even here, I think, it, we could do like a little video series on these are the techniques that, to mitigate risk of injury, we don't expect you to do, to do in the class. Even if it's just the stuff that's illegal to do for certain belt levels, like, Okay, here's like, like jumping, jumping, jumping close, close guard, guard or yeah. reaping the knee. Or, or even to the far extreme end of that, like we're no longer going to be actively teaching heel hooks in the academy. Like you will do them, but we're not going to be teaching them as often in GB3 no gi. Yeah. Because in my opinion, the risk reward of rolling with heel hooks are not, we have to do them at some point, but we're not going to actively teach them and expect to be able to roll with them every week because the, for our community, it's not worth it. It's not worth getting that catastrophic knee injury from a poorly applied heel hook or a late tap. I think yeah. it comes down to like education at the right time. So yeah. it's like if you're teaching 
newer students how to heel hook, then I don't think the technique is the is the problem. It's the application. It's the application. So like a Kimura could, I mean, upper body limb injury versus lower body limb injury is obviously very different. But like, it could be a Kimura is, could be equally as devastating, uh, depending on if you were needed to be if you're a tradie and you need your arms to work and yeah. stuff like that. Then then a Kimura can be just as equally devastating as a heel hook. Uh, Can I give you a, a first-hand ex- example of something that happened? Well, I, I visited another academy. Mm. They didn't. They, that academy is local, and they don't have a fundamentals program. So there was a six p.m. gi class. So I get there at five o'clock to meet a friend uh, who we both had trained for years. Did some training, and then it's about quarter to six, so we stop. So I'm waiting for the class to start, but there's people on the mat two guys come in and say, oh, do you want to roll? And, I, and I'm sat on the map just waiting and they, they sat right next to me and I'm like, 10, 10 to six, I'm like, class is about to start. You're going to start rolling now. Anyway, these two guys, clearly brand new, no idea what's going on. One arm bars the other, pops his arm. I hear the crack scream. Oh. And then he, that guy gets an ice pack, disappears. And I'm like, right, class is about to start. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> and this is like, Chaos. Uh, chaos. Utter chaos. And, you know, and, and I'm sat there thinking, thank God we train in an academy where you come in and it's like fundamentals class. Hey, this is what we're going to do. And you're going to learn some fundamentals, how to how to apply that control, all of, all of those things, those basic fundamental elements of control or submission were, were not present because... There was clearly a lack of fundamental jujitsu taught to that person, or to the, either one of them. I mean, and then the etiquettes of the gym and all of this stuff. So um, that was an eye opener for me in terms of actually how do you teach people who are new to jujitsu jujitsu? Do you just let them come in, do what they want? Do you just throw them into an all levels class and let them do what they want, or do you create a fundamentals program where you come in and you say right? These are fundamental techniques. So think the stuff you're talking about, heel hooks and stuff, they're fine, they're gonna come later. What we're gonna teach you is this position, fundamentals of one, how to escape and defend those positions, how to move in that position. And once you've kind of been through some of this cycle and understand those positions, now we're gonna say, okay, after a certain amount of time, we're gonna allow you to roll unsupervised or with limited mm. supervision. Um, because before that you're not, you're not, you're not capable. Yeah, yeah. I think I think for, for for instance something like the heel hook, it's like a GB three class is a, is a great class for it. The problem right now is that like we see as a GB three class is a class full of blue belts because that's what we have. Mm-hmm. But in the, in three four years time that could be a class full of purple belts or brown belts. Yeah. And so we probably will have that yeah. in the curriculum or within the schedule at some point, yeah. like a. Uh, you know, an elite level no gi class for sure. Like I, I can see that happening. But yeah, so where we are right now with our demographic of students and the experience level, but I don't think it's heel hooks. The other thing about heel hooks, just to counter that Kimura argument, is you don't feel a heel hook until your knee's gone. Mm. Where the Kimura, there is a bit of a stretch. The delts mm. will give a little bit of musculature that will stretch. But that is, if it's correctly applied, there's not a lot of time to. Yeah, I, I think that's the difference between training in the academy though and, and training and competition, whereas competition, I'm just going to throw it on. But equally, like if I catch a Kimura and put some put it behind someone's back, 
it's almost like I would catch a heel hook. You catch a heel hook and you don't turn it on, you just look them in the eye and then yes. like, yeah, you caught me. And then- Almost like catch and release type. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Same if I, I get a Kimura behind someone's back and they've not tapped them like, you know, if it's dorsal Kimura, you go, rip this way, boom, yeah. and then you put it behind the back. And they still haven't tapped them like, you all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and then you go, yeah. oh yeah, this one is like, if, and then I'm just telling them like, if it goes behind your back, probably just want to tap at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the other thing on the on the fundamentals, the basics, you know, Roger gets asked about this a lot, right? Like, because he wins or won all his competitions, one of the greatest ever competitors, doing quote unquote fundamental mm-hmm. techniques. He's like, they're not basic, mm-hmm. they're just more simple, but they to become elite with those, it takes just as much Absolutely. skill and refinement. In fact, probably more because more people know it. Yeah. So I think there's this kind of, I want people to listen to this saying, oh, I'm only doing the basics, I'm only doing the boring. It's like, that's not the boring stuff. That can be the most devastating stuff. In fact, we spoke on a podcast recently. Like, I'm really enthused about doing more close guard, doing more mm-hmm. quote-unquote basic stuff. And we're bringing Professor Odissa in to come and coach one night a week with Kev, and he's going to be helping out with the kids. And I know he loves the close guard as well. So yeah. it's good. Just let's sidestep slightly, because I want to get Lauren's take on this. So... You're going to be coaching soon. Mm-hmm. The responsibility of an instructor, we talk about this, is is a is a big one, isn't it? Mm. To be able to manage a group of people doing something, particularly when they're brand new. Mm. How do you feel about that? Um, well, I think, like you said, you're teaching the fundamentals, and you're teaching them sort of how to do it in a safe way, aren't you? So, I think as long as you're monitoring it and making sure everyone's using common sense mm-hmm. then everyone should be safe and then you, you've got responsibility as an instructor but they've got a responsibility as well to look after each other aren't they yeah so i think you've all got to kind of work together to keep each other safe yeah. yeah you're totally right and i think that's where the messaging is key on the mat isn't it like we always talk about like eight out of ten or we used to say roll mm. to the level of the person mm. yeah. the spell or whatever that messaging is that needs to come regularly, needs to come often, it needs to come with um, sometimes an explanation as to why we're asking you to do this. Yeah. We want you to improve, but stay safe, and be able to train tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think the, the ethos of the academy is, is like um, really important. So you can go, I, I, I describe them as tough guy gyms. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and the and I look at the the fundamental sign of a tough guy gym of the tops off, guns out, you know, pictures at the end. You know what what are you what are you portraying? Yeah, what are you portraying? You're portraying, hey guys, we're tough, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and those tough guy gyms have tough training, and it's like, actually, what do we what do we what do we want? From what do, oh, I'll, I'll put it down to myself. What do I want from a class at the end of the class? Mm-hmm. I want people to have understood the techniques that I've taught, be able to have an understanding of them. And I don't expect them to be able to apply those techniques on day one. I expect them that after a period of time that they see it, they can understand the technique. So this is really important. Like if someone does that technique to you, you have an understanding of what they're trying to do. Yeah. So you're familiar with the technique. Um, and as long as they're familiar with the technique and they understand and have a co- concept of that, they can they know how to react. Um, and then over that time, that familiarization will become actually some um, physical competency in being able to do that. So I don't want them to be 
um, the toughest guy in here. I don't want to be like, we're not we're not here in the in your normal class. The idea is, we we get better at jujitsu. Okay, and then if you want, and tough rounds as for live training, right? So everything in the class is controlled, it's monitored, it's a safe environment for everyone, and that's how we all kind of participate. But then if you're in live training, you want to have a 100% sparring round with somebody, you agree it, shake hands, and off you go. Mm-hmm. And that's the next part of it, and that's part of the joy of jiu-jitsu, but you've got to kind of break that down. When, when do you do that? You don't want... You don't, that doesn't take part in the main part of the class for me. Yeah. No, and there's also a limit to your learning if you are going super hard. Mm. You've got to bring down the level of your intensity to have the awareness and the understanding of what's actually going on. Otherwise, you're just in a little tunnel of vision and you're fighting to try and win. Yeah. Well, if you're trying to win, you're going to go to your, your archetype and your A game every single time because it's about trying to win. So the other point there about which is important is where people are aware of what's going on from the other person, you can learn just as much by feeling or of what's going on if you've got the right mindset. But if you've got people doing rolling, flying back takes and flying triangles in training, and you've never seen it, there's no learning for anyone now. Yeah. You're just trying to win. I think on that Helip video you said about only doing techniques that that, that, that person um, would have seen before. I think that's a little bit unrealistic in in jiu jitsu, for instance, if you've got you've got so we allow someone to train here when they're uh, one strike right, so about a month each of training. Let's say that those four weeks were mount, close guard, side control, half guard, something like that, and then you start sparring, and I'm just playing butterfly guard and hit an arm drag. That person face plants, loses a tooth, like. Uh, well, I've not ever shown him that technique. So, was that fair for me to do it, or was like, is there a certain level of like? So, yeah, uh, the, did you see, there was a video posted by Flavio Almeida about three weeks ago, and, he, and it's entitled "Leveling It Down." Have you seen it? Yeah. I've not seen that one. No. It's um, and he basically said, "Look, level your jujitsu down to the other person." And this is that kind of bring. He said so. He said, and he makes even a, a very clear. But he says in the G, if you're live training after GB one and you're you're training with people in the GB one program, only use techniques from the GB one. And he said, and he went. What that will show is how good is the GB one techniques. Right. Yeah. He said because if you're going up against someone who's new and you go, actually, you know what? I'm going to do something that they don't know and they don't understand. They don't know how to react to it, so that is a successful technique. But maybe not someone immediately, but six months into their training, if they've been through the site, maybe they've been through the GB1 program a couple of times, and they've seen all of those techniques and they've experienced them all a few times, then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, can I tripod sweep you? You know, from when you stand up in close guard, can I, um, from close guard, sweep you with a scissor sweep or a you know, wherever. So I'm only going to go to those techniques, which A, you've seen, you understand, you've been taught. And then I think on that person, there's an expectation for them to level up their GB1 techniques to apply against people, against, like you said, who are a bit un- <laughs> a bit unpredictable still in the way they live train. Um, you know, maybe use a lot more strength and speed than they do techniques. So, um, which is natural, which we've all done. So I think you can 
And I think it's important that that, considering that video came out before this verdict came out, I, I sat there and thought, that is the that is the perfect video. Yeah, to we, kind we've of been understand. saying it for yeah. ten years, fifteen years. Like everyone, we've always said that. Like you roll to the level of the lowest belt that you're with. Yeah. Having said that, there's got to be some room for you to develop your jiu-jitsu too. Yes. Like there's got to be some space for you to try new techniques out. And so, I think there's nothing more powerful than teaching a class rolling straight after or in specific training. The people that impress me the most are the people who do the techniques you've just taught in specific training. Because mm. the people know it's coming. Yeah. It's like literally just seen it. Mm. You've literally just been practicing. If you can do it then to a resistant opponent, that's almost like telling me your technique's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, we're not, we're definitely not gonna mandate that you only can do certain techniques mm. and certain like that. We're not gonna do that. Because no. again, it, it dumbs, numbs off the expression of the art. So you, if you, know, you want to play your, X guard game and you're working on that for competition, you should be doing it regularly, that's fine. But I think you should always have in your mind the level of the person you're rolling with and if they are less experienced than you, you should probably try to improve your fundamentals game in that, yeah. in that role. I think it all goes back to that point that Laura made, there's a responsibility of the student as well though. So like, if I'm going to limit myself so much to just use techniques that you could have potentially seen, I think the student then has a responsibility to not be doing crazy shit. Like, right. Because if you're like just trying to absolutely smash me and I'm just trying to do my GB1 scissor sweep um, and you're just grinding into me or something like that, well, I'm going to have to do something that's different because my scissor sweep is not going to work at that point. Mm. Like, like th There are techniques that are appropriate. Like, a lot of jiu-jitsu is using the appropriate technique at the appropriate yeah. time. And if GB, if the... How many techniques is it? Uh, like the thirty-six, whatever techniques there are in GB one, isn't appropriate for that time. Which in the infinite possibilities of a single roll in jiu-jitsu could be quite uh, potential. Like, I don't know if you should just kind of sit there and not do anything. Like, no, I don't think you, know. you should. But here's something to consider: if you that spazzy white belt is is as close as we're going to find to the untrained opponent in the street. Because that's what basically they are, right? They don't know any jiu-jitsu. They're unpredictable, using all the strength and power. That's what you're going to fight facing the car park in Sainsbury's if it kicks off. And I'll tell you now, when you when that kicks off, you're going to do, if you're on the bottom, close guard, sweep to mount, smother them, control them, take the back, strangle them. That's what you're going to do. You're probably not going to do a rolling back attack no. on the tarmac. So actually, in that environment where people are going a bit crazy, I revert back to control. So where's my control? Close guard. Pull them in, tie them up. Where's my control after that? Can I get in the mount and just wear them out? So actually, they probably, the, the fundamental techniques probably are the ones that are going to work the best in that situation. Um, and it's a real test for you, isn't it? When those arms are flinging, <laughs> people are pushing and shoving. Can you control that person? Yeah. And yeah. That's, that, that comes down to that. Do you know what you said about taking the Kimura? taking the heel hook, taking whatever position you've got to control throughout that. So not just expanding that idea of control, not just I'm going to I'm going to get to a position, I'm going to get to a finishing position, I'm going to control the finish. It's about how about right the way through that round, I'm going to control this person, I'm going to put you in a position. For example, so sometimes what I will do is I'll say, right, I am going to sweep this person, so I'm going to get to close guard, and I'm gonna sweep this person 
with a tripod sweep. That means I have to get to close guard, force them to stand up, and then hit that tripod sweep. It's a really difficult thing to do, but you can start to manage that role where you're like, actually, I'm going to try and do this. So that's my aim for the class. That's my aim for that role. If 90% of the time don't work, <laughs> okay? But if you set off with that objective of that's what, that's what I'm gonna try and do, it gives you like a really good, how good is my control of that person? Can I get to close guard against someone who I don't know who doesn't want to be put in their close guard? Once they're in that close guard, can I really create a situation where they can't? I'm making them stand up. I'll give them a sleeve or whatever. Right. Once it's there, can I open my guard, manufacture that position? And I think it sh- it, it it don't work a lot of the time, but um, it shows you how control is like throughout that round. Can I really implement my control over that person and force them to the positions? I want to force them to, um, and it's hard, um, but that's kind of one of the ways I, I approach it sometimes. We're talking here, I think we're probably talking to the white belts here, right? Like, I think once you get a blue belt, I think at that point, the kind of reins come off a little bit in training. And I think to your point about the different guards you're going to play, and the, the development of your game and focusing on areas that you want to express yourself in and, or what matches your body type or personality or whatever. I think from blue belt onwards, it really opens up for me. I don't know if you found that, but I think we're really talking here about how to protect the newest students and make sure mm. they're as safe as possible yeah. and what they should be focusing on. I think once you're in GB2, perhaps, or so it might not be blue, but it might be three, so I definitely GB3, the, the, the game opens right up. And you know, we're not saying at that point then you should only be to, doing stuff like you're getting taught in GB1, GB2. Yeah. I think you should be able to do whatever you want. Yeah. I think. It, to get back onto the the point, and to some extent, I was just playing devil's advocate there. Like it's not like I'm hitting crazy like <laughs> stuff against some new white belt. Um, yeah, you are. You know the guy. The, the guy got injured. Like he, he in let's say he wasn't uh, in. I think he came through a lineage of like where it was quite hard to get promoted. Uh, but you know, two years of experience, all the likelihood he could have been a blue belt. Um, does that change uh, what happened to him? Like, would because obviously during the trial, it like I think it changed. I was going to mention that yeah. point. I think it's I think it's a really good point. I remember going to Canada, right? Just got my purple belt, got on the mat. A white belt says, "Oh, do you want to roll?" I said, "No, no worries." And he like sp- like we slapped and bumped, and he like spun under into a reverse uh, yeah. Delahiva, and I was like, "What can I do? Two strike white belt." And I was like, how long have you been training? And he said, four years. And someone shouted out, yeah, he won the Worlds last year. I'm like, why is he still a white belt? Yeah. He ain't a white belt. And I think this is part of the, the culture of those competitive gyms. Well, that guy, he fought at Pan Ams. Yeah, yeah he fought at Pan Ams twice. If, you, if you're competing at Pan Ams twice, you should be a blue belt after that. Like, why are you staying at a white belt? Well, this is why Henna made such a big deal of it. He's a, and people, and in the general community, it's like, hang on a sec, this guy is no beginner. Yeah. He's no beginner. But the jury don't know that, right? Exactly. And this is what you're selling to the jury. Mm. The idea of um, gym, uh, non-gym friendly techniques. You're like, well, actually, if this guy's a competitor, yeah. he's going to be doing world competitive level, yeah. techniques. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a picture of the guy, Jim, uh, what's it called? Summit Renner. What was his first name? The, the guy who got hurt. Oh, um, I can't remember. He's but he's, there's a yeah. the picture of him is holding two yeah. IBJJF 
competition medals. That's no easy feat. Gold medals. And you sat there thinking, okay, this guy has an idea. Yeah. You know, he's he's, so... um, But Yeah. But in in court, who are you selling it to? Mm -hmm. And I've had I've had first I mean going off topic slightly. If you if you're trying to sell something to somebody who has no idea what they're looking at, let's get it right. How many of that jury are going to understand jujitsu and jujitsu mm-hmm. techniques? And that's why the role of those expert witnesses in that was so important. That they're they're going to try and explain what jujitsu is. And what Henna said, and this is something I completely disagree with. He said when they flipped, it was like being spiked. And as soon as I read it, I was like, he's selling that to the jury. Everyone knows what spiking is. Mm. From American football, from wrestling, from wherever. The, uh, the average person understands spiking. Pick them up, dump them. So he used the word, it was like him being spiked. And in his video, he tries to explain, oh, I was saying it was like being spiked. And I was like, it's not like being spiked. It's a rolling back take where his neck's got trapped. Mm. Doesn't have the same emotive <laughs> impact as yeah. it's like being spiked. Everyone in that jury understands the word spiked. So he was... a you know, I, I disagree with what he said there. It wasn't like being spiked, um, but his he was carrying <coughs> both of their weight in his neck. Um, but it comes, I mean, so really like, for me as an instructor, I sit there and think, I was worried. The first time I walked onto the mat after seeing that I was, I was worried because I was like, this is something I want to do. This is something I want to make my career. That guy's been vilified. He's been absolutely vilified online. He's, you know, look at all of this publicity. He's got to live with the idea that he's he's potentially paralysed someone. Mm. Um, you know, which is tragic. That 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 guy should be compensated. You know, he's going to live the rest of his life in this like mm-hmm. uh, terrible state. So you've got these kind of conflicting ideas of how does that affect me? What what am I going to do? How am I going to behave on the mat? That's why I came and when I approached us by speaking about it because it was that was the first class I was came to. It was just flying through my mind. My mind was like full of what if something happens on the mat? How am I going to respond? Am I going to be held responsible? All of these things, and it was worrying me. Mm. Really was, um, and I'm not any less worried I've, as I've kind of been part of GB. We have certificate uh, instructor certification school certification, first day training. You know, we, 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 all, we did that first day training the other day, you know, safeguarding training, all of this stuff. All of the training is there mm-hmm. to protect me as an instructor. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm insured have got yeah. personal liability and all that stuff. What I would say is, mate, like, we can't eliminate all risk no. in anything we do. No. And don't forget, when everyone leaves, they get in the cars and drive off. Yeah. You know, automotive accidents are the fourth biggest killer of people in the world mm-hmm. behind heart disease, brain disease, cancer, mm-hmm. then yeah. automotive uh, accidents. Jiu-Jitsu is not on that list. No. It's so safe. I think putting it back into context, you are way more likely to probably fall downstairs and hurt yourself after training than you are to get injured on yeah. that. But I think the fact that we're just talking about it now, it hopefully demonstrates to be illustrated, mm. like you'd say there, man. Like, we care. Yeah. The instructors, we actually care about our students. Yeah. I think that's, you know, as, as much as people might complain about having to wait to get into GB2 or having to wait to get to GB3 or having like things taken up, things limited from them at the start. I think that's probably the, the one of the biggest things. Just like if we were doing skiing, <clears throat> you know, people get paralyzed doing skiing all the time, right? There's mm. really famous cases. Yeah. Like I'm sure a ski instructor isn't, I've never done any skiing. I'm sure they're not going to let me go down a black diamond slope first day, right? 
We're but, quite fun though. Yeah, we're yeah. Fun. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's still, even if I was an experienced skier, there's still an amount of risk that I take on saying, right, I feel whatever benefits I'm going to get from doing this thing outweigh the potential risks mm-hmm. of that thing. Yeah. So and that's an individual choice, yeah. right? No one's no one's dragging people onto the mat here. Yeah. Like you come yeah. and actively participate and accept that. And you know, I think you know, we talked about this before. In all things, there's some kind of balance, and we talked about the what's the true cost of jujitsu, and whilst it's the zero point zero 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 one percent of people are going to get some life changing injuries, uh, most of us will pick up some kind of like I rolled my ankle last night or like. Lawrence Finger. Lawrence Finger saying. I want to ask her about that. Yeah. Uh, all the benefits you get in jiu-jitsu, there is a trade-off and you're going to have to lose your time, you lose whatever your membership fee is and unfortunately every now and again you're going to pick up an injury yeah. and it's up to you to make that decision of is that are all the myriad benefits you get from jiu-jitsu worth the cost of the potential and the things that are going to happen to you. So can we kind of like close out on that? Because I do want to ask you about this. That's not why you're here, by the way. But you've, you've brought this topic up, so it's important. You know, you, like you just said, you're going to pick up an injury every now yes. and again. You were off for a long time. Yeah. Like, yeah I, I've not been off that much because I don't roll that Fucking nails. It's just absolutely brutal. No. You're injured at the moment a little bit with mm. your finger. How's that been? Frustrating? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But can you explain how you feel? Because there'll be people who, you know... I've trained white belts year to haven't been injured yet. It's going to come at some point. This is your is this your first like big? Oh, I broke my toe, didn't I? Broke your toe, toe, and now you've damaged your finger. I had that big swollen ankle as well, didn't I? That time I had a cankle. Yeah, I had a few. <laughs> um, I think it's annoying because it's like your hand you use it all the time, and mm. it affects my grip. So I don't really have a good grip, which is kind of hard when you're doing jujitsu. I don't know it's hard because like part of you is like you don't want to train because you feel like you should heal it but then you do want to train because you don't just want to not do training then you want to train around it but then sometimes you feel like you're a liability for everybody else because you don't want people to be like oh your finger like I don't know yeah yeah, no one thinks that, by the way. No, no. But it's a frustrating time, isn't it? Like, even the, the the fingers, the toes, they're the worst ones. Yeah. They're the worst ones, because like you say, you need them all the time. Yeah. Um, and people are going to get injured, and that's okay. What we want to try and avoid, of course, going take it right back to the beginning, is injuring other people. Mm. Yeah. That's what the difference. You're going to pick up a knock, you're going to get stubbed in the face, scratched, whatever it is, that's fine. But if you're doing something that, Injure someone else. If you're banging a submission on and popping their arm, yeah. Yeah. I've experienced be, have my arm being popped. Not cool. If you're going to put on something that you've seen on YouTube and you want to try it mm. against someone who's brand new to try and win and you injure them, you're going to feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing is, like, we can look to as you know, everyone here is a, a hobbyist, and if we look to the the best people in the world training at the highest level, they don't even apply the submission. They they like if. Uh, B team and new wave if you catch an arm bar you don't hip extend through it mm-hmm. you just let the person try and escape and you continue trying to change your leg position until enough control has been established that that person says right i can't i can't escape that's the tap yeah. no at no point did they put like extension yeah. force through the arm and in terms of like what you mentioned training like uh, before about right having those 100 percent rounds so like those guys who train twice a day and competing regularly they might only do a hundred percent round once a week, yeah. twice a week, 
and the rest of their training is pretty much just low intensity or just like that kind of progressive overload where they are trying to just up it tiny, a tiny little bit. They have that hard round and then they kind of drop it back down and go back up and have their thing. So I think that's important for all of our students to remember, like even those best guys in the world aren't going at it like crazy all the time. Yeah. And they're, they're the people who are most concerned about safety because they can't, they literally can't make, just, just as like if you get a crazy injury here, you can't probably go and work. Like they can't compete if they pick up an injury doing jiu-jitsu. They can't make a living from doing what they were doing. So I think we can all take cues from, from those guys as well. Yeah. I mean, jiu-jitsu is a physical sport. It's a combat sport. Um, you go, go play a game of rugby. Mm. See how you feel oh, after man. it. You know. They <laughs> had the rhinos in the other day. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people that get injured playing football, like, yes. like, mm. uh, we we did a video about. It. Yeah, we did. Yeah, like, jiu-jitsu is a sport that's around control. It's actually like very slow, which you don't feel in the round. But if you re- if you like, and I'd encourage everyone to do this: video record a round and then look how slow it looks mm. afterwards. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It looks like everything's like moving through sludge, and you feel like it's going. Pop, 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 pop. Mm. whereas football it's all dynamic it's like someone hits you from the side full like running slide tackle straight into your ankle something like that mm. that's, that's that's an injury we, I think because we expect injury and we we mitigate it for it very well mm. and the last thing I'm going to say in this podcast really is you know for anyone who is training and, and wondering where their level is I'll quote Jared O'Connor who's the, the current kind of first pick hooker for Leeds Rhinos and we bumped into him outside when he came the other night. He just said in his guy said, mate, thanks for training. That's way harder in there than it is with the lads on the mat. So they, Morgan and Corey and Charity were down the other night, found it way harder grappling with us than they do grappling with the first team of the Rhinos because jiu-jitsu gives you that element of control. Mm. And so if you're ever wondering if you're not progressing, like you can't measure yourself against the people in here who know jits. Even professional sports people who do contact sport for a living are getting submitted 10 times around in here. Yeah. You go out on the street to your lay person or the guy who breaks into your house or whatever, you're going to be absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just to, to remind everyone that you're on a, you're doing a good thing here and you're developing even though you perhaps don't think it. But let's keep everyone safe. Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'm going to get to work on making a video series around kind of do's and don'ts in the academy to keep your training partner safe you know just some things like like jumping to close guard or not doing takedowns where you're putting any kind of inward force on anyone's kind of knee or just letting people know uh, educating more people yeah, you're sure. Come so, and ask someone yeah. Yeah. loads of instructors knocking about coaches professors who can give you advice mm. um, so yeah come and ask awesome anything else for anyone else GBF starting in May, mm-hmm. Coach Lauren. So we've got how many spaces left? Four, five? Five, I think. Five places left. So if you know anyone who wants to experience Jiu-Jitsu for the first time, uh, a female with a view to potentially becoming a member, then you should get on that pretty quick because I think we'll sell out in the next yeah. few weeks. Cute. Um, that's about it, I think. Schedule change Monday. That's a big one for us. We're adding in. So we've now got lunchtime. As of Easter Monday, lunchtime classes every day. Some classes every single evening, about half it started Wednesday morning before work, so pretty Next good week, schedule yeah. from Monday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and just to clarify, it's just closed on Friday, isn't it? Someone was asking me, it's open Saturday, just closed yeah. on Good Friday, then we're closed on Easter Monday, 1st of May, and the 29th of May. Yeah. Open for the coronation weekend, open 
this Monday the 10th. <coughs> yeah, just check out the Academy calendar for any of those dates. All right. Thank you, Professor. Professor. Laura. Well done. Boss. See ya.